Listener Production. G'day, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with respected driver manager Greg Siddle. If you've arrived here and not heard part one with Pee Wee, as they call him in this game, you are missing some ripper conversation around some of the big names in the sport over the years. Greg, typically, doesn't big note himself, but you'll enjoy the early stuff with Larry Perkins in Europe and legendary engineer and race car designer Ron Turanak meeting and working with Nelson Piquet and the friendship that he has to this day with the three-time F1 world champion, the talented Roberto Moreno and the opportunity with Sir Frank Williams that slipped through their grasp. That's through circumstance more than anything else. We haven't even scratched the surface in this conversation in some ways. We begin part two with his connections to Van Diemen and the passionate, almost plea that he would make to get them to officially play down under in Australian Formula Ford. Let's venture along here. Um, firstly, I think a little, uh, you know, a couple of steps back in the convo, I think you mentioned Ralph, and I think you were meaning Ralph Furman at Van Diemen. Correct. Am I right? Yes. Tell us about your connection with Van Diemen and, and, and what went on from there. Well, once again, I didn't know Ralph. I mean, I, I, I so I came into motor racing in, and got into Formula Three, and that's where I lived and breathed and whatever. And so was I didn't that, know that was, it was Gould Motorsport. What did you call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, Gould Motorsport. Well, I wasn't going to call it Pee Wee Racing or Siddle Racing, which mm. everyone does. So mm. I chose Gould, mm. which is my wife's name. Lovely. Lovely. Or she was to become my wife. So yeah. that's where that, that's how that emanated. But so with Ralph, well, you know, once again, solid guy, solid mm. racer, ethical, mm. and you just. You establish a connection and trust straight away, and, mm. and 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 even to this life. And when I teach, well, I don't teach so many young kids nowadays. But I guess if you look at the names of the people that you are going to speak to about me, what was the underlying thing is trust. Mm. And Integrity. once you once mm. you establish that trust, mm. everything you just don't have to worry about so many things. Mm. There's some things you just don't have to think about, and that was my relationship with um. With with Ralph and um, and Roberto, in fairness, uh, we had four offers I think at the time, and R- Roberto wanted to go to to Van Diemen, mm-hmm. and so I sat down and and did a deal, and he tried very hard to get a lot out of it, and I pushed back very hard. Well, you're not getting that. We will contribute a minimum amount of money, which we did, um, and of course, you know, he just had a brilliant year. He mm. just won both championships, I think, or certainly won one of them. Um, he did some. F Formula Ford 2000 races for him mm. um, in a car that they were trying to develop. Um, and, of course, he won the festival. He mm. won every heat, won the semi-final, won the final, broke the lap record. So, And so, once again, you know, that was that and you move on and but you mm. know who we are and that sort of then – so, that gosh, that was 1980. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Australia in 1990. Did you? Mm. And, or 89. And so I'll just jump on. I'll keep on the Ralph Furman thing. Mm-hmm. Is that I bumped into a guy called Steve Knott. Mm-hmm. Well, he bumped into me. Said, "Oh, and we're in Adelaide," and and he said, "Oh, Pooh, I'm Steve Knott." Blah blah blah. And he said, "I oh, just pick your brain about. I've got this young guy. Um, what should we do?" And I said, "Well," and I wasn't aware of Formula Ford in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then I was aware that Formula Ford in Australia at the time was run by and controlled by guys in their mid. 20s, mm-hmm. even late 20s, and they were winning races. Um, I mean, I'm not being disrespectful. That's just how it was. Mm. And I said, well, what sort of cars do you race here? And he said, well, 86 Van Diemen's. And I said, well, why are you racing 86 Van Diemen's? Oh, well, we wait till the couple of years old and we bring them to Australia. I said, well, why don't you buy a new car? Oh, no, we don't do that. And I said, well, if you want to get on and you want to perform and get kids to do, get a new car. Mm. And he said, well, how do we do that? And I said, well, the Van Diemen, I think, is the best car. And I said, I'll ring up Ralph Furman. He said, yeah, really? I said, no, I'll ring Ralph. So I rang Ralph and um, I said, Ralph, look, there's a guy out here, you know, they've got a young kid and they're a bit archaic about their racing. And I said, um, do you sell Van Diemen's in Australia? He said, oh, no, Pee Wee, there's no way I'm selling Van Diemen's in Australia. 
And I said, why is that, Ralph? He said, oh, look, if I sell a van in Australia, he said, those buggers in Australia, he said, they'll just go and copy it. You know, I'm not going to make any money. I'm bugger. I'm not selling a car. I said, Ralph, come on, send me down. So I said, listen, Ralph, I need to buy a car. And I said, do you have an I said, I want to be your agent. He said, you, no problem. So he wrote out a one-page script. So I set up the agent in Australia with Steve and his wife. Yes. And I basically let them have 60% of the business yep. and I 40% because I didn't want to run on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So then, so there's a relationship that I had with Ralph 10 years prior. Prior. Mm. Mm. And of course, I don't have to ring up and say, remember me or whatever. You just mm. make calls. And that's how we started. And then the second year, um, we got Mark Larkin, Amazing. who wasn't a youngster. I mm. think Mark might have been 20, 21. Mm. Um, and then he won, mm. a great kid. He was, well, I'll let him take the kudos. He's my media manager. Um, <laughs> the next year we had, uh, Russell Ingle yep. who won, who was older again, but that transformation had started. Mm-hmm. We we're bringing new cars out and the kids were coming out of go-karts into the latest spec machinery. Mm. And so their dad started talking to me. Like Cam McConville's dad, dad. Jimmy yep. Richards' dad, yep. uh, Jimmy Richards. Yep. And so the fa- Noski, the fathers were talking to me because the kids now were all dropping under 18, 17. Yep. Um, Mark Noski's dad, um, Jason Bright's mum and dad. There'd be a tander in there somewhere too probably, isn't his there? Da- his mum mm. and dad. Mm. They cleaned buildings in Perth. Mm. Marcus, even Marcus's dad yep. came and bought one. Mm. Mark Webber, yep. you know, Alan Weber, he he raced one of our school cars, kid, and I said, Alan, don't waste your money. Get this kid a car. I had, you know, and I had to sort of a, a bit of a sales pitch, you know, and I had to sort of get them to understand why they need to buy a car. Mm. And I would always say to them, at the end of most, listen, if you don't buy a car, it's not going to change my life. Why not? Why not iota? If you buy a car, it's not going to change my life. What this is what I th- suggest you do: mm. go and buy a new car. Spend all your money now. Take all your risk now. Put it into your kid. If he doesn't make it when you've given him every opportunity, tell him to go and get a job somewhere. Mm. And so I would always leave that with him. And even with Alan, I remember with Alan, I sat out the front of his used car yard in Queanbeyan for probably two hours, trying to convince him to spend money to buy his son a new car, and all the reasons I've just said. Mm. Uh, and of course they did, and the rest is history. So then we just had this great rapport for many years, and then there was just a transformation. Every kid that we, when we ran the business, made a uh, uh, a career out of motor racing, except one, Troy Dunson, mm-hmm. who won uh, with the support of um, um, the Morrises. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'd already had a little engine business with his father and whatever, and he'd already had a goal in life. But every other kid that, that has they gone all, on to, they mm. all made a career either through winning the championship um, or coming second. Like Marcus didn't win, Mark didn't win, um, Craig, of course, won. Mm. I mean, you know, and the, the, their fathers, the, the, nearly all these people didn't have a lot of money, but they sacrificed. Amazing. You know, and, and, and they did and they could see because often people say, oh, they think there's a cheap way. There's not a cheap way in this business. Mm. Uh, well, there certainly wasn't in those days. I'm, I don't quite understand it now. Mm. But, you know, you buy a, a secondhand car for the first year mm. and I just say it's rubbish. Mm. Give the kid everything now, make the sacrifices and it'll be cheaper in the long run. And and I think, like I look back at the the Anderson consulting car, which was a 92 Van Diemen, I think, for Cam McConville. And I think that's still a, a very cool looking car. Mm. And I think I can recall Ken his dad at the end of that year kind of sitting him down and saying, Cam, that's it. You know, we've had a, we've had a big mm. outlay here. We've, we've got the, the new car and we've done all the right things and he'd won the title and so on. But it was then like up to Cam to continue as professional yep. athlete, professional racing yep. driver and, and learn and, yep. and grow from there. Hey, Great, so, guy. Mm, Great guy. Yeah. Um, you've brought up Mark Webber, which is um, terrific and the, the conversation that you had with Alan around all that sort of stuff. Was there a little bit of early involvement with him before he took off to Europe and, and maybe some advice or... or um... oh. <laughs> okay, maybe do, I do, do, do you really want to know about Mark Webber? <laughs> up to you, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there were, so it came about, but we had this driving school out at, uh, not a school, driving up, Van Diemen's out at, um, uh, Oran Park mm-hmm. and a friend of mine as I said still a friend of this day car dealer in Canberra would get his car dealer mates and they'd come down and uh, and we didn't want young kids because we learned that lesson in the beginning they're pain in the bum they crash cars blah 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 we wanted people that 
enjoy it and pay mm. the money. Anyway, so he, he'd rung me one day, Brian, and said, okay, I've got 10 people because it was a group of 10. And he said, now, look, one of the guys has paid me the money, but he's asked me specifically, he said, listen, he doesn't want to drive, but could his son drive? Mm-hmm. So because this friend of mine, I said, okay, so that happened. And in those days, I would go out around about 11 o'clock and stay till the presentation, whatever. And in those days, Larko and Warwick Brooklyn and Marcus Ambrose, they, they were running the days mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And, and where there was no sort of control, because they were sensible people, you know, we didn't have control mechanisms of revs. They were told to go out and do 4,000 revs and then mm-hmm. later 6,000. By the end of the day, if they wanted, they could drive the car. Mm-hmm. And I can clearly remember going out there just prior to lunch and I just could hear and see this car going at a speed it shouldn't have been going. And I said to Wazza, like, I said, who, who the hell's driving that car? They shouldn't be going that quick at this time of the day. day. Yeah. Anyway, it was Mark Webber. Anyway, as it turned out, he won the day and the time he'd set, because I ended up selling the car, that particular car that he drove, because it was all documented, and he, the time he did, it would have put him third on the grid of a national race. So then that's when I went on to the Allen thing. and mm-hmm. Convinced him. And then so... You know, we didn't run a race team. I said to Steve, "Not we're not going to run a race team because if we run a race team, no one will beat us because of my connections back in the UK. Mm-hmm. So we made the teams facilitate or we'd find older engineers to help these young kids, mm. which is what we did with Mark. I put Harry Galloway with him and then off he went and he was just brilliant. But mm. I, um, I'll be very delicate here. Okay. Um, so he then befriended or she befriended um, uh, Anne Neal yep. prevented him mm-hmm. and that she was on the peripheral Formula Ford I think through her husband mm-hmm. at the time who was involved with Coca-Cola and I ended up think she ended up getting uh, Yellow Pages mm-hmm. sponsorship and so this was Mark's first year still quite young um, I uh, as the year went on that that relationship they were having mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm talking professionally yes, here not yeah, personal yeah. Um, was getting strength and understand because I didn't go to all the races. Mm-hmm. And then my goal, talking to his father, I wanted Mark to stay another year in Australia. And the reason why that, I could see that the kid was brilliant. Mm-hmm. He, he was gifted with speed, like absolutely gifted with speed, which, you know, over time, everyone else saw that. Um, but I wanted to stay by so he could learn how to win a championship. Mm-hmm. And learning a cha- learning to win a championship is a discipline, mm. is a discipline. And if you start doing that at an age when you're very young, you'll carry that through in your business. Because I've always looked at motor racing, formula motor racing. You don't do things retrospectively. Hmm. Once you've done this and you go to the next step, you keep going, keep going, or you're out. Hmm. You don't go back, oh, look, I'll go back and do Formula Ford again. Hmm. And so that opportunity was there then. But the strength was that, no, they were going to England. And I just, I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Vehemently, I disagree with it. Only because I believed in the kids' brilliance, um, but that's the road they chose. And mm. as it turned out, uh, I guess in reflection, it was probably the right one. He mm. got into Formula One. He was only in Formula One because of Anne Neil, no mm. other reason. Wow. So I can't sort of argue. reflect that, mm. argue or mm. disagree with what they did. did. But that's mm. what I wanted to achieve. So look, over the years, yes, I, I know Mark. I know him well. And uh, if I've saw him at races, I'm mm. in one race in particular, I remember. I was in Monaco for whatever reason. He, he did Formula 3000 and uh, I watched the race and he absolutely blitzed it. Mm. And I remember him coming back to to um, the F1 pit and uh, to see Bria Torre or whoever at the time. And I said to Mark, that was brilliant. I said, you, what you did today, you need to put it in a bottle. Mm. It was just so special. Mm. So, yeah, and look, I know his father mm. and, and his mother. And um, if we see one another, I've, I've seen him when he – then got involved with Mitch Evans, and yep. and now of course he's he's done a, you know got involved with uh, Piastri, who's yeah. potentially our, our next uh, Formula One world champion. Beautiful. So you meet this guy Mark Larkham. I think he was running an eighty-one Van Diemen at the time, or it was a very early eighties Van Diemen when you first met him. What was the you know country boy? Obviously, you liked his way. I think what was what was. The first impressions of Mark Larkham. Well, he's certainly a country boy. Yeah, that's for sure. When coming from Griffith, I mean, yeah. my goodness, and he's their weekends were spent in the pub in Yenda. <laughs> Can only imagine what the town of Yenda's like. No disrespect to the people who come yeah. from Yenda, 
but him and his mates and um, look, he just look, what you see, Mark, is what I saw mm. back in that time. He and what shone out for me, what he was doing with that old car, and then asking him what he'd done, and he'd done nothing. He decided he wanted to go motor racing, mm. and so he cobbled. I think he, I think from memory, he looked in auto action, saw this car, went and bought it, and off he went. But I could see that there was a potential with the kid, and so we struck up a rapport. And it was, and it was my interest that if there are good kids there, I mean, mm. not that we had much competition in terms of cars. We did later on with the Borland and the odd Swift, and would come out from the UK. You'd want to make sure kids with potential, you know, sat in a Van Diemen. Mm. And so I kept in touch and I can't remember whether I convinced him to buy a new car. He was probably smart enough to know that he had to buy a new car. Mm. And so then the next year he bought a new car and then he went around the industrious person that he is. I, I think he went around and knocked on 200 shops in uh, businesses in Griffith, Griffith yeah. and um, got 10 bob out of 150 and, <laughs> and then put Griffith on the side of the car. And so he was very entrepreneurial, even that early stage. Mm. And so uh, once again, we just struck up a rapport, I guess, trust. Um, we won the championship. The next year was Formula 3000. We did pretty well. I think I got the car from England for him. Mm -hmm. um, did well there. His entrepreneurship and finding sponsors or exploiting that came to the fore with Mitre 10. Mm. Um, I think he would probably agree or he probably would want to forget uh, when they tried to revolutionise V8 racing by building a V8 race car like a Formula car, mm. which uh, fell apart and whatever, and at the end of the day went in the rubbish tip and then uh, – got back on track with everyone else mm. and then had the career in um, in V8. So I, I'm the surrogate uh, godfather to his second Sons. son. Yep. We didn't sort of get it to the church yet. Um, that, prob <laughs> that probably won't happen now given that Troy's, Troy's in his mid-20s and about to be married. But um, once again, we just have a good rapport. I, I've helped him through his career uh, with his contracts, um, spent a lot of time with him, um, he talks about you like um, you're a dad to him, mate. You're a mentor, but you're like a dad to him. So. Went through that terrible time that he had um, with supercars, with the supercar losing mm. the job, and mm. you know it was just an awful, awful time Dead for it. Wrong. Dead set and, wrong. And um, we plotted a, a scenario that we were going to go down, mm -hmm. and that was a scenario or nothing else. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, there was pressure to brought to bear. I guess Republican understood. So. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just once again, it's a trust thing, and mm. and you know, and I guess the same with Sam and uh, Adam Carroll, Max Wilson, mm. Lucas Arrow. Just you know, you got to talk very confidentially, mm. and um, about how you're going to do things and why you do things, and you haven't got time to be documenting bloody contracts and all this other nonsense, mm. you know. So, you know, our friendship still prevails to this day. It's a great friendship. Let's let's stay on him for a fraction here, if we can. Firstly. Sam Michael, who you've brought up, comes through there, and he's another one that you've you've mentored, and you could see obviously his talent from a very early age. There's a good story which I've told in the Larco pod, and it may have even come up in the Sam pod, so we might as well share it again here. And it surrounds you, which I, I think at the time you may have had an office above a above a T-Mart's in Parramatta or close mm. to Parramatta somewhere. Sam would go from wherever he was to you perhaps, and then ultimately to Larco's workshop, which was in. Sydney's northwest up in Carlingford there. And I think Larco rang you at one point and said, tell Sam to get some engine mounts, <laughs> <laughs> which was code for something. And and you said, uh, you said, oh, okay, no problem. Uh, like, are there part numbers with that? Is there any details I need to? Come on, finish the story here. <laughs> it, was, it was vanilla slices the whole way along, wasn't it, from the local... The local bakery in between, wasn't it? Maybe, Correct. yeah. <laughs> they were vanilla slices. <laughs> Only Larco, yeah. seriously. Only Larco. Yeah, no, no. He, you know, Sam was a good kid. He, he was. He was. Did he well, write to you or to Larco? And was it like he'd been working with Neil Bates? He was obviously studying at university, and and I think he clearly wanted to move into the open wheel path. But he, he wrote to. I think he may have even addressed it to the team manager or something rather. But he, but he wrote. He with did. his CV, he, didn't he? He yeah. wrote a letter. He was at Sydney Uni, mm -hmm. and um, and that was wasn't unusual. You know, you'd get people would ring or write all the time. Yeah, you know, my parents, 
kid can do it. anyway. I, I I can recollect that the letter, and I should have kept the thing, hmm. the historical part of it now, and um, of course what he achieved. That, and I just remember making a point that make sure we talk to this kid. And hmm. so yeah, look, he came on, and um, he was just brilliant. I hmm. mean, he was brilliant. But the other thing that really impressed me, um, which was really needed at the time. He thought outside the square, mm-hmm. it was my expression of Sam. So he knew what was going on, but you'd go outside the square to look further into things. Mm. And a lot of people just were fixated. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that on, on their job in hand mm-hmm. or what they had to do and achieve that and then just what's next on the work list. Mm. And that's what really stuck with me. And uh, and then obviously we worked together. He was doing the data. Uh, he was proactive all the time mm. about doing things. When th- this was starting to creep into the business. Mm. I think the, the thesis or the data rather became part of a thesis for his study, Correct. I think, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. The book's over there. Fantastic. Just under that Formula One book. Fantastic. Um, and so I said, well, Sam, you've got to go to Formula One. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether he thought I was a fool or I was dreaming. Not at all. Or uh, I was drinking or what. But I had told him, you've got to go to Formula One. Anyway, so that's how that was. And then I just remember clearly one one day coming back from Carlingford to Granville mm-hmm. and he's in the car with me and he's having a chat to me. And he said, oh, Pooh, he said, look, I've been speaking to Mark. So next year, you know, with the with – the, Formula Holden or Brabham or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to work full time and whatever. And I said, I beg your pardon? He said, no. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, you're going to Formula One. So anyway, we went back and then I went home that night or whatever and I thought, Jesus, now you've opened your mouth, you better make it happen. Happen. Hmm. So, yeah, I duly got on the phone and… To Lotus, I think, wasn't it? Was it? And, and Well, I rang quite a few people and mm-hmm. uh, I got an intro uh, intro in there with PC, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Collins. Um, was there a conversation with Eddie Jordan too maybe? Or, or, that was uh, later. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think from memory they came here. We were last race of the year I think at that time. Uh, I think memory might have spoke with Peter Wright. Mm-hmm. That sounds correct. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, and then the next year he he went and worked for for Lotus, mm-hmm. and he was doing gearbox data. I think from memory, I went and saw him at one stage. He had an old bomb car, <laughs> which I think was just capable of driving from where he lived to the Lotus factory and home again. Mm-hmm. I can't remember whether it was in that year or the next year he rang. And said, um, he said, um, listen, we're going to go broke, mm. the company, the Lotus. Mm. Mm. I said, oh, goodness. And I said, well, I'll have to ring a few more people. So I rang uh, Gary Anderson mm-hmm. and told him about this young whiz-bang kid. And uh, I said, told him what he did. And Gary had said to me, he said, oh, look, Pee Wee. He said, we've just employed someone like that and I don't know anyone. So I hammered in, hammered, because I knew Gary back from when he ran Formula – well, first of all, he was a mechanic at Bernie on 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 the Formula 1 team and then he created a car called an Anson with his brother-in-law mm-hmm. in Formula 3. So I knew him quite well um, before he went to EJ's, to Eddie's. And I said, look, just give the kid an interview. Just interview the kid. And he said, okay. He said, look – Third, let's say it was a Thursday night, he'll have to come here. He said, the next day I'm flying to Japan and then down to Australia. I said, okay. So I rang Sam. I said, okay, I got you an interview with um, – with, um, Gary Anderson. With Gary. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind, I just reflected on the, the car that he had. I said, the car uh, – I said, they're meeting something like it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, what I want you to do, I want you to leave at 10 o'clock in the morning because if that bloody car breaks down, you need to get on it. <laughs> You need to you need to leave it beside the bloody road, and get on a bus or a train and make sure you're not let, you don't you miss that bloody meeting. Anyway, so he got to the meeting, um, um, and they had the meeting because mm. no mobile phones in those days. So Gary, I spoke to Sam. How to go? Oh, he thought it all went well, mm. and uh, and bear in mind it was just an interview. It wasn't for a specific job, uh-huh. <clears throat> but. Um, I had no doubts about his capabilities of answering and dealing with whatever Gary had spoken to him about or what mm. he could do. And so Gary ended up, did Japan, they came to Australia. Then I saw Gary in Adelaide and I said, well, how'd it go? He said, oh, yeah, Peewee, I'm employing him. Fantastic. So mm. that was the, the Gary and then 
Away it went. And then away it went, and then a similar thing opportunity came. I think when he went to, to Frank's or mm-hmm. to Patrick and yeah. the youngest TD at the time, and and then Ferrari, I can't remember whether Ferrari was the opportunity he had to Ferrari or um, at Ron at the same time when he was being wow. poached. and. Mm. Um, but anyway, he went on to um, to McLaren. To McLaren, mm. yeah. A mm. couple of things about Sam to wrap up his his portion of this discussion. He vividly recalls going to Sentinel, I think in Indonesia, was it Indonesia, and and you were there with the Formula Holden or Formula Correct, Brabham. Yeah. And he said he was doing something around refueling and or, or, or moving some fuel from a from a jerry can or something or other, and he'd taken the top off it and. Someone needed a hand with something just for like a millisecond, and he and he ducked off to do that. And he said, the moment he came back, the lid was back on. You were there, and you kind of said to him, "Hey, mate, you know this is a game where we've got to be ultra safe. Don't don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again." And because he's such a perfectionist and so good at what he does, it, it sank in with him. And and later that evening, I think you were going out somewhere, maybe back at the hotel. And uh, he, he brought it up and he said, you know, Pee Wee, um, and explained what had, what had happened. And you turned to him and you said, Sam, there are two people in life. There are those that leave the lid off and risk that sort of stuff. And there are those that put the lid back on. You need to figure out what you're going to be. And you kind of left him with that, with that, that moment of, um, you know, uh, serious but, but sort of thought-provoking thing. And it really, it really... He still remembered it. He recounted it to me in th- this morning before I've come here to your yeah, place yeah. for this for this chat. So, you know, the the, the attention to detail, the et cetera, et cetera. What he clearly has, has learnt from you and then maybe even from Adam Parr and others along the way as he's worked with them, that that the early part, the the Lotus, the um, Jordan chapters, whatever, obviously there's a very important technical component of what he had to bring to the to the table there. But as he went on to to Williams and and McLaren, it became about people, didn't it? And mm-hmm. how you interact with people, what you do with people. And I use that analogy before about the transactional nature of engineering or, or whatever they needed to get a job done and ticked. Whereas you perhaps helped him to start to pull the blinkers back and think more broadly about mm-hmm. how people work in a team yep. scenario. That's so important, isn't it? In, in the the ultimate success of what he's uh, been able to achieve in Formula One, and now what he's doing in business life, which is remarkable. They've been probably even more successful what he's done in Formula Formula One. One. Yeah, mm-hmm. great yeah. transition that, isn't it? I mean, it's a story that so. yeah, people don't probably. He did share a little bit with Tom Clarkson very recently about what he's been doing around. I think it's around machine learning and things like that. He's yeah, very, very clever. Yeah, very clever, very mm. clever. While we're talking about that, in the in the Jordan chapter, he got appendicitis. And he ended up in hospital. I think he was in maybe a Northampton hospital. He was very sick. Was he? Very, very sick. He didn't. He didn't let on that it was a. It was. It was in there for a week. I think at one he point. He was very wasn't sick. He? Was he? Okay. Well, the story goes: you rang Eddie Jordan, and you must have shot the breeze with Eddie about different things. And then you, in your style, basically said to EJ, "Hey, you haven't been down and seen this bloke in hospital. That's that's not great form." For a team owner, you you, in the right way, kind of fronted him, and then the next thing, DJ was in the hospital visiting Sam. But that came about because you, yeah. Well, well, Vanessa, his wife, mm. um, had rung and told me how sick he really was. How bad was it? He was very sick. Was he very sick? Oh, yeah. Um, and she'd got the, so he's been well looked after mm-hmm. and then i rang ej mm. and so i've known i'd i've known ej from when he first came over from ireland he, uh, i think he came over with him he had the marlborough money out of ireland and was racing former atlantic and was always a a character mm. from from the time he came to england but yeah no i i had a go at him about it and because mm. i my concern was that what you've just said is correct, but my concern was that Sam was not in a good way, and I wanted Eddie, and he was trying to push back and brush up, brush me a bit. So I, um, <laughs> yes, um, my subtle way, which I guess some people have 
come across over over my lifetime in motor racing, I let him know that um, he should be doing more than more what than he's that. Doing. Yeah, mm. so. Do you take a bit of bit of pride in what you know Sam was able to do in Formula One? And I know you guys. I think you guys have a periodic catch up. It might be you, Sam, Larko when he's in town, and yeah. and and so on. It's great that that whole connection that relationship which goes back whatever that is now mate 30 odd years yeah. more is still ultra strong today oh yeah maybe pride so i've never reflected on pride i just just what you did you you yeah, opened the door yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and and what they achieved is what i really reflect on do you, you know, they, they've just done really well and they're good people hmm. and i guess the satisfaction is i saw that you know, the infancy with both mm. of those guys in particular and, and other guys as well, I have, mm. to, have to say. But, you know, I saw that at the very beginning and and um, it's a pity the McLaren thing didn't turn out. Mm. Um, Ron realised what was right and proper, um, but by the time he'd realised uh, he wasn't going to undo Sam coming back home. and, mm-hmm. um, and the, But as it turned out, you know, Ron got into other – issues with the company and all mm. his shareholders and and you know I, I i say to sam well thank god you weren't there, there with, mm. through all that and mm. and now zach runs the company totally differently to um way ron to, did. to, to, to way ron did and mm. different things so you know sam's decision at the time which was quite early on the season to come home was in you know in reflection of the right one and not and for him personally it was good um Vanessa, you know, who's an Australian, the two kids mm. had the opportunity to finish their final schooling. At, um, Gave him uh, a good time with them at an important part of life, yeah, didn't and, it? Yeah, and they're mm. both at university now, and so mm. it, 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 it certainly was a right. And now he's doing well in his business, or the, the company's doing extremely well. Mm. So, in, in doing that stuff in, in mentoring, it's, you know, the little bits of advice that they have picked up from you along the way. Larko loves one of your great lines, and that is, take the emotion out of it, Larko. <laughs> he reckons that's one of your your life lessons when it comes to decisions or different key moments that you've, you've had along the way. That's one of your mantras, if you like. Is that right? Yeah. Emotion bites you on the bum. Does it? And it... And it it happened to me one, possibly twice in the early part of my, you know, in motor racing. Mm. I was emotional about things, and it just bit me on the ass. Did it? And I thought, what happened? Well, can you share that, or what happened? Oh, I can't remember specifically what those things were, but I just know I was emotional about some decision, and it was just I shouldn't have been. Mm. You know, you just got to be quite brutal, and that's why, you know, I'm when I look at a guy like, um, you know, things like Briatori did. I'm not talking about the Singapore Grand Prix, mm-hmm. but some of the decisions he's made in the in the industry, which a lot of media didn't support. Uh, I, I like what Helmet does, the way he goes about things. A lot Do of people don't support it. Just straight up, it's just, just it, you know, deliver, mm. deliver, and and I just agree with totally what you know how they go about the business because you just know that there's no emotion. Mm. There might have been a little bit of emotion, uh, I think. Um, because you hear snippets from Christian Horner about taking on the phrase, mm. you know, after that one-off race in um, that one-off race in uh, Monza last Monza year. Monza last year, yeah. You know, he might have been a bit emotive about that because mm. he wasn't a Red Bull driver, mm. um, and Christian didn't agree with that decision. Mm. But anyway, when he realised the error of his ways, and he said, "You're going," and as he said just recently, "Well, why do I have to wait another two races? Mm. You know, you're going now, and you know they have." Daniel will give them some direction, and he won't mm. win races for them. And I'm sure, technically, mm. he'll give them direction and for the car. potentially mm. give them some points. So I'm, I'm, yeah, because a fan of, of that, that approach. taking that emotion out of it, and you know, and it's hard sometimes. Mm. You know, what other life lesson would you give some of the young, you know, drivers that are coming through that are perhaps listening to this? You know, about the way they um, should go about the business of motor racing now. Get yourself then. around good people. Yep. Just get yourself around good people, mm. you know, and you have to learn that very quickly. Mm. And you can get that you're around by, by talking to people. Mm. And if there's any doubt in some people, just don't go near them. Mm. You know, it's just – I've always thought that, you know. And you, you you want to win a motor racing, well, go and buy a new race car. Mm. Don't don't find excuses and just get good people around you, which is what I did with the young kids who, when we had Van Diemen, I, I got good engineers around them, older engineers, so they taught and learnt. So. Yeah, help shape them. Yeah. 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 Amazing. 
Chris Lambden said to me that that when the S five thousand thing was you know kind of really um, launching with Sandown a couple of years ago and wanting to make a splash, that I think they got in contact with you to to try and um, help with a bit of international. Uh, flavour for it, and you ultimately got to Rubens Barrichello. I think mm. I think you might have done that through Luciano Berti. Did you go that direction first, or how did you? Well, or... yeah. Well, so Chris rang, and they mm. had an idea about. I think I might have been Felipe Massa. They were, they were talking names, which mm-hmm. I had no connection, but I, I could connect with them. But I rang Luciano, who I brought Luciano out to do the Formula Ford Series in New Zealand many years ago. Mm-hmm. So I had a rapport with him, and I was introduced to him through Roberto. Mm-hmm. And so then I had a good rapport with uh, Luciano, still to this day, all through his Formula 4 2000, Formula 3, Formula 1, Ferrari test driver, blah, blah, blah. So I rang Luciano and I said, listen, and I knew he had – so there's a bit of a mafioso with him and Max Wilson. All connected. <laughs> and, 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 um, and, and Rubens mm. and uh, Canaan. Yep. So I rang Luciano, so he rang – um, Rubens, yeah. Rubens, and and he said, "Yeah." But so once again, it it just comes back to this trust thing. So you know, if Luciano rings Rubens about a deal with a guy in Australia who Rubens Rubens may have been aware who I was, certainly. But that, that, intro, that introduction is worth a lot, mate, isn't it? You know, no, he didn't know mm. he didn't know me. Mm. But if Luciano is telling Rubens that this Pee Wee guy in Australia, it's all okay, then mm. it's it's done. And I think that's the reason. I think. I saw some time later that Chris had quoted, but well, if you want to ring someone and you want to trust, just ring people. So, and that, and that's that's how it happened. So mm-hmm. I negotiated. It was a bit of to and froing with the money, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I felt I got him reasonable money mm-hmm. uh, for what for what he did, and he was happy with that. And we came back again to the Grand Prix race just before was, COVID, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, just um, before he, COVID. We agreed with that again, and and so yeah, and then I nearly brought his son out to do TRS two years ago, but that stopped because of COVID. But, mm. but yeah, no, that came through um, through Luciano. I'm indebted to you because you helped me get him on the podcast back then. He was – um, Yes, I think you I bumped did. you in the street you and we walked out of a restaurant we, we with were, LP. And, yeah, um, and, and we were Did all, you speak to him? Yeah, I did. We were all stunned about what had happened with COVID. And to your point about introductions, I, I said, well, you know, obviously now we're at a loose end here because who knows what's going to happen in the world. I said, well – Rubens is here. Can I? Could I speak to him? And you just like just easy. I've spoken to him. But we, you know, blah 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 blah. He's at this hotel. Off you go. I was blown away. Here am I going to? You know, in the very early days of this podcast, I was going to talk to Rubens, and we sat in a um in a in a a bar area upstairs in the the hotel, and it was it was probably only half an hour, but it was just some of the most passion filled, beautiful conversation as is. Rubens way. Good guy. Good guy. Good guy. You, you've connected, as I said at the beginning of the chat here, you've connected with the South Americans. I mean, we haven't even talked Max yet, who mm. came out and ran for Dick Johnson, uh, among others. I, I still have a little bit of dialogue with him on socials to this day. He's just a great, great guy, isn't he? Yeah, amazing. Very emotional, but yeah, but a good kid. Yeah, I mean, so that came through. So he came to Australia. I can't remember how he came or why he came here. He came from Europe to here. Mm. He'd done a little bit of IndyCar too, hadn't he? A tiny yeah. bit maybe, yeah. And the connection was, so Luciano and him are close, so mm-hmm. Luciano said to Max, go and speak to Peewee. So yeah. he did and then I did all he, I then did all his contracts with, there was a guy called Briggs, was there? Yeah, John, uh, John Briggs, yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I think Dick yep. and then Triple Eight. Yeah, pretty, would have been with, uh, with, yeah, with yeah. Roland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I did all his contracts, and of course, then he went back home. Yeah, amazing, good guy, good yeah, guy. Good, I must, I guy. must get him on the podcast for, um, you know, for the sake of a, of a catch up would be good. A couple of other things we should dive around about before we we wrap this up. People have asked me to um, reminisce a little bit about the Porsche, Le Mans, Larry, and I think Brock. That was all. Well, you were involved in that that project, weren't you? Am I right? So that came about we, eighty <clears> three. <throat> so. Alan drove for me with Roberto in the Grand Prix, mm-hmm. and we went. and John Fitzpatrick was out here with a nine three five Porsche. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. There must have been GT racing happening at the time. Anyway, that night we all went back to Alan's place in Kew. All, uh, I mean, quite a few people, but I know Brock went. John was there, and well, I was there. Alan. And whoever and whoever, 
And um, they were talking, probably a bit of beer talking, and Fitz was saying, because Fitz at the time also was running Skull Bandit oh, yeah. 962s mm-hmm. in uh, in Le Mans type racing in Europe, it said to Brock, why don't you come over and do Le Mans? And so that conversation was going in, on in the kitchen of the house. So Brock comes out, hey, people, get in here. <laughs> Fitz, Fitz, Fitz wants us to go and do Le Mans. So anyway, so um, – that's that's basically how it started. Happened. So mm. we sort of worked out a bit of a strategy. How much? You know, obviously we had to pay. Mm. I can't remember what the fee was. It might have been two hundred thousand dollars because mm. we were doing Silverstone prior in Le Mans. Uh, I pushed for Larry to be in the car. Mm-hmm. Good car too. Mm. Bob probably didn't want Larry in the car. Um, so off we went. And so then I then I had to sort of you know raise the sponsorship which is wasn't sort of my go really Mm -hmm. but the thing that got it over the line so we got alan hamilton on board with engines who was porsche australia at the time Mm -hmm. tire company dunlop and you know so with the peripheral stuff we needed money and then what i did was i actually brought the car out to australia and um which wasn't it wasn't a costly exercise i think from memory it cost about seven thousand to air freight it out and um, and uh, and a similar amount to send it back to 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 Europe, mm-hmm. and that was the linchpin by bringing the car here because Le Mans cars people in Australia were aware of what they were, but probably physically never had seen one. Not connected because to it. I mm. brought the thing out and sat in Brock's workshop. So once again, uh, the corporation uh, had heard about this Channel Seven with Mike Raymond, fantastic, wanted to get behind it, <clears throat> and then the corporation said you come and speak to us. So I go there and once again, to the angst of the financial director, <laughs> Mr. Reverse Cashflow <laughs> is in is in the building again. And uh, and so we sat down and Bob Did the deal. wrote out a check and mm. there was a lot of contra offset from seven. Mm-hmm. So off we went. Mm. And so um, we did Silverstone, which was okay. And then LP unfortunately crashed in mm. the night, and he feels when you reflect on that with him now. I think that's the one he, you know, one of the moments he feels um, that was a tough one, wasn't yeah. it for him? It yeah. was because it was he was. They were correct me if I'm wrong in the storytelling here, but he was kind of coming back through the field. He was going pretty hard, and and um, it was a bit of lap traffic, and it went to custard, didn't it? So yeah, yeah. Shine. The impressive thing about that was that it was Brock again. Mm. Money he really got up to speed with the car, which yeah. was very impressive. Because it was so different to yeah. to what he'd been. Very impressive. Mm. And so that was a shame. And then, gosh, and then he came back and got involved with the mumbo jumbo and mm. and his bloody cars and whatever it was. And he wouldn't do Sandown. And I think from memory, Andrew Madiki and Colin Bond did Sandown and. Mm-hmm. And that and that was the the Le Mans exercise done and dusted. Yeah. Wow. What um, you know, before all that period happened with him, I mean, you know, the fun you had in the kitchen and so on. What was he like? If people love a Brock memory, what what are your kind of memories of of him? Oh, his persona. Yeah. I mean, I just I'd just never seen an operator like him. Yeah. He just knew how to play people and deal with people and mm, connect what, with them and mm. just I was just blown away. Just from a gifted race driver, most gifted race drivers are just purely focused on, on that race driving thing and everything mm. else. Was, but Brock played the whole dance. In fact, I remember he was with Advantage International. I've forgotten the chap's name now, um, who managed or ran Advantage International in Australia, and Brock was a client, and he used to call him the icon. And, and, and he was, he was just an icon. Mm. I mean, what the hell he was doing in that car that took his life, I have no idea. But mm. anyway, we can't do anything about that now. But mm. very easy to work with. Once again, you know, getting you back to the days when you want to sell something and you wheel those sort of people in front of sponsors and whatever, it grabs their attention, mm. makes the deals very easy to put together.
If you're enjoying this episode, it's worth diving back into the Rusty's Garage Library for his fascinating chat with former Williams Technical Director and McLaren Sporting Director Sam Michael. It was Pee Wee who quietly helped open the F1 doors. Once you make it in there, you feel like you owe something back to them to make it um, and to you know not let them down, um, especially Pee Wee, because he'd opened these doors and used contacts and friendships to say, give, give this young guy a go. He's just a, a ripper human being. And he's, yeah, and he's still doing it now. Mm-hmm. So he's still... I had a, I had a um, coffee with Pee Wee about a week ago because he lives in Sydney, and um, uh, and he's still saying, you know, it, it, he's particularly focused on drivers probably um, rather than engineers, but he still has the odd engineer come through, but he's still sort of... If he sees someone, he's there to, he's there to help, him, help them. And, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's done a lot for Australian motorsport. He sure has. Let's hear more of Pee Wee's story now with Rusty. Your career, by and large, has been around um, open wheel cars. Not not completely, but mm. but but that is a strong, I guess, um, component of of what you've done. But there has been um, a little bit of the of the saloon car, if you like, stuff that you brought up before. Can we touch, if you're okay, on on Charlie Lamb? I mean, very sad that he is gone now. How you felt, you know, when that news happened, and and what he was like generally. I mean, he made such a mark, didn't he? Yeah, Charlie's probably one of the sad things in my my career because we we were very extremely close. Mm-hmm. Often talk, it'd be one o'clock in the morning and we talk like like for hours. He was an absolute racer, like through and through. And he had a twin brother who was also a racer, but nothing compared to Charlie. Mm. Um, he was just brilliant. He knew how to because uh, I did a lot of, lot of long-distance races. Hmm. He wasn't destined to go into motor racing. He was studying at university and has degrees and was going to go into the business world and it was only because his older brother was killed in a motorway accident uh, that he then came into the family business. Um, so Herbert and Joseph, Joseph, the, so they were schnitzers mm-hmm. and the, the, the schnitzer father died and the mother had remarried a lum and was Dieter and Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up just from that very outset. I can remember <clears throat> when we first met. So I flew from um, Zelt or, or drove from Zeltweg, the Austrian Grand Prix, to Freilassing and met Stuppert and the other BMW people at um, at um, at, uh, at the pub in Freilassing, uh, the Mooseleitner. And uh, we were there and we we're chatting till about 11 o'clock at night, and the owner had. Uh, was still around and then everyone had left and Charlie and I were talking and I guess I was giving Charlie stories about what I had done and and he was sort of living in this world of BMW touring car racing in Europe and mm. the people I knew and I guess he was quite intrigued, you know, what I'd been doing and whatever. And I tell you, we sat there till about two o'clock in the morning. In fact, the owner of the hotel had come to Charlie and he was aware of the schnitzers and the lums mm. and said to Charlie, look, here's the keys to the pub. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I'm going. Can you please lock up when you're finished? So we just sat there till two o'clock in the morning, and excellent. And that was just the start of a wonderful friendship, friendship. you know. And just, mm. and then of course we did Bathurst, and then they came out. We did Bathurst again the next year with the six three fives, and then the next year it became. I can't remember whether it was a world championship race, but the M threes came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they came out as a proper factory team under the BMW banner. Mm. Um, so then he had a good report. They did New Zealand. And so we'd, I'd always just be in content, contact with it. I'd go to Europe. I would specifically go to, to Freilassing to, um, um, you know, have dinner. And invariably, you know, I would just arrive at the factory and walk upstairs into his office un, unannounced or as his sons got older, or the, the younger son, Lenny, I'd say, come into uh, Freilassing, um, can you make sure you, you and dad and mum go to a restaurant and uh, I'll just walk into the restaurant Fantastic. at 7 o'clock and yeah. – and Charlie, you know, he'd just say, Pee-wee, what are you doing, doing here? <laughs> so, yeah, very, very sad. In fact, I was in New Zealand with the Gouard's nephew when, when Lenny had written to me and mm. said Dad had just passed away. So. Very sad. Mm. The connection for you with younger races, mm. you still, you know, even when you and I spoke on the phone yesterday, you were interested in the Toyota Racing Series in New Zealand, mm. perhaps what might be coming up this summer, how last summer was and so on, mm. the the impact that the Middle Eastern um, Formula Regional Series had had in this past yeah. summer and, and, and so on. You keep a very active interest in that, yeah. in that space, don't well, you? Well, it's been my life. It's been mm. my business. Mm. You know, it's how I made my living. You mm. know, you just can't, 
well, I just don't switch off. And then I just, you know, I follow things and I follow people and, hmm. you know, and look look where the talent is. Like there's a great Italian kid, Antonelli now is coming through. So let's just see where it is. And, and in fact, even when I was in New Zealand and Lando had come out, I rang, I rang Helmut. Did you? I said, listen, this kid is the business. But around that time, he had a good group of people around him already. Mm-hmm. And I think by the time he got back to Europe, there were plenty of people you know, knocking on his door and, mm. and the same with uh, Liam Lawson. Mm. I mean, they're just gifted kids, yep. you know. I hope he gets And for his... me, it's not hard to, for whatever reason, to I can I can just see that. So, mm. And I still enjoy it, you know, and, and that's why, I don't know, for whatever reason, I mean, look, he doesn't have a father. His father passed away some years ago. So, mm. you know, I guess it comes back to that trust thing, you know, do you know, who do you, in life, you've got to always speak to someone about something. something. You mm. can't be a, a hermit, you know, and mm. then, and then of course you, you talk about things very personal or business-like, you know, you've got to be wanting to trust people mm. other than going sitting in a bloody lawyer's office and, you know, charge you 350 bucks an hour now. where you have to tell them, mm. you know, you just talk to people. So. Mm. Can you see, um, Someone who you think is is like, can you recognise the gift behind the wheel, or is it more the package outside the package. car? That, is it package? Is it? What package. do you look? What do you look for? What do things that stand out for you? I can't tell you, Greg. <laughs> I know that's the secret of your business, but you clearly you listen. I mean, that's one of your great oh, things. Sam, yeah, Sam said to me today, he goes, "Your biggest challenge in doing this podcast is that Pee Wee will turn the tables on the microphones and try and ask about you." So he goes, "You got to make sure you get out of him." I said, "Okay." And you're a great listener, as you've talked about earlier in the in the podcast. But but you can also, um, you know, there are many facets that make a champion, aren't there? There's totally. A, yeah, and and look, one of the things I guess, I uh, my fortuitous or whatever the word may be, I was only in the business three years, hmm. and I got involved with Nelson, hmm. and Nelson became a world champion. So already you knew where the bar's at. Yes. You knew where you know where the bar's at straight away. So that's what you had to aim for. I didn't know that in 1978, but when that same kid became world champion three years later, mm. you know, you knew, geez, what we were doing was right. And as I said, Ron, as I said before, Ron Turinick said we would won the world championship five years earlier, earlier. with the package we had at the, in that year. Mm. So you, you know the level. I mean, a lot of people in this business, they do it because they love it and enjoy it, whatever, but they never see where that bar's at because they've, you know, they've just, they've just not been put in front of them. Hmm. But when you see that and, and what makes that person and what that people achieves, you know, you just look, pick up all these little things and I, and I can see that. But no, I, I, I think it's, I think if someone comes to me or I hear people saying, oh, I saw that kid driving, he's brilliant. And I just think, well, you're a wanker. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, everyone can drive a race car. Hmm. I mean, you know, if you, if you can tell me the difference, uh, you know, the difference between Lewis and uh, and uh, Max Verstappen, or, or you know, the difference, or or um, um, Perez, you know, hmm. by physically looking, what you, you know, there's just so many other facets to it. So. Hmm. Hmm. You're starting to wind back a little bit now. Yeah. So, I mean, you have had great manufacturer connections as well. We probably should talk about the fact that. You worked, I think Larko told me about, reminded me about you working with Nissan and doing, you would do um, projects with them that would showcase a vehicle for the media, wouldn't you? You might do a, a yeah. economy run or you might do, do all those yeah. sorts of things. And, you, and you've had long-term relations. I mean, I don't know how long the Nissan one was, but I think VW has been at least 10 years or something, hasn't it? How long have you been dealing well, with Well, the Nissan guys? one sort of happened when I, mid-early uh, 90s, mm-hmm. and that went to... 2000 and um yeah and we did we built special vehicles for them i mean stuff that they didn't give to fred because fred was just doing purely motor racing, racing. Mm-hmm. and we did launches like we like a guy a director of volkswagen said the other day, i was just reading about you the other day Pui, how you built 60 special vehicles uh 300 zx's mm. still in 300 zx's for them which we did you know and mm. i'd forgotten about and and that relationship might have continued but it only stopped because the the pivotal guy in Nissan at the time, Brad Leach, mm-hmm. uh, when they started Volkswagen Australia in the year 2000, uh, 2001, uh, they sent out a, a CEO from um, um, Japan, an expat POM, to start the company, of course, but then he had to draw on people throughout the industry, you know, to come and work for Volkswagen. And then mm. my pivotal guy at uh, Nissan then went to Volkswagen. Yep. And I was in Europe at the time, and I've still got the email, I think, 1999, 
oh, Pee-wee, I'm starting a Volkswagen. We need this, 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 this. <laughs> You're this, coming this. with us. You're coming with us to the extent it became so big that my little business I had out of Granville in the Bob Jane building, mm. you know, I closed down and I went there. And, yeah, and, and you know, once again, I've always looked at the bigger picture. You know, mm. you look after people and they look after you. And I've always had that philosophy as well. I mean, just don't grind everyone in. Mm. And here I am about to finish, but after 20-odd years. That, Amazing. Um, you know, I still do stuff for the company. So, mm. Can we get a couple of things to finish on key people? Firstly... I'm not a believer in regret. I reckon you make the best decisions you can at the time and sometimes there's circumstantial things. So you've talked about Roberto and that that potential at Williams and what have you. I mean, he went on to do some um, some cool things in, in IndyCar, an immensely talented guy, a, a great character. Mm. Um, when you think of Roberto and, and his career, what do you think of? Uh, what do I think? He could have got more. Yeah. And probably deserved to have got more, but you know, once again, the circumstances, and and that's part of the game, you know. And when the opportunities are getting back to that wave, you make sure you get on it and stay on it. And and the uh, so an opportunity came his way. Um, he was a test driver for Ferrari, and doing a great job. And when he first started being a test driver for Ferrari, John Barnard was there, mm-hmm. and he was going somewhere to Europe, uh, to Japan or somewhere, and he'd rung John to come round and speak to him about something or other. And John said, oh, okay, come round about lunchtime. And I oh, know he was driving a Formula One car, the, 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 the Swiss guy, you know. Peter Sauber? Crook. No, no huh? not Sauber. Hmm? Bruin or something. Mm-hmm. Crook. Anyway. Anyway, um, John said, so he, got, he went round to Benetton. And John's secretary came out, all ashen-faced, and didn't allude to anything. He said, look, John's just tied up for the moment. Look, he's just absolutely tied up. But he wants you to wait here. Mm-hmm. So he bush waited there, and John finally came out and said, oh, come into my office. And he said, I need you to drive at the next race. I can't remember what the next race was for Benetton. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you mean? He said, we've just had the phone call this morning from Nanini. Yes. He crashed his helicopter and severed his arm and they kept the arm alive, the medics, by circulating blood in it. It was actually stitched back on. Wow. So out of that became an opportunity for Roberto Mm. um, that was just never in the making, never in the plan. But We had to get out of the contract with the, the guy, which was done. And then off he drove for Benetton. And then, of course, then he signed the next year and they had that wonderful finish, ironic finish, him and Nels mm. in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then they signed for the next year. But then the wheels fall off it again. Mm. You know, none of his doing. Mm. And once again, you know, people are pretty angry about Briatori, but what Briatori did was the correct thing. They had to get rid of someone um, because they needed Schumacher in the car. Mm. You know, and that was just a brilliant, and it was a Briatori thing. I mean, people might say it was Tom, but it was Briatori. Mm. They said, we need him. We've got to get him in the car, which they did. And, of course, the easiest target to get out of contractual, which I won't go into the to the background of all that, was Roberto and not Nelson. Mm. And and Briatori had told me some years later that he actually wanted to keep Roberto wow. because of the youth and, and whatever. Mm. And Nelson, I think that might have been, Nelson's last year or the year right that sounds year. about right I can't remember yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's those opportunities but you know I mean uh, there could have been more you know mm. and, and that could have been one of the more things than him driving with Schumacher am I saying that you're implying that he'll beat Schumacher of course not mm. but that opportunity had gone and mm. so he was out again back in a pile of rubbish you know mm. and his dogmatic attitude to be in the business of course then he went to IndyCar and, and made a few bobs so. mm. Nelson Piquet <laughs> Nelson Piquet, yeah, just just gifted, and I'm blessed, and that you know that opportunity we worked together, in you know in '78, uh, and we're still friends to this day. And I think I might have said to you before that you know we talk often now. We don't talk about motor racing. Mm. He doesn't talk about his his daughter's boyfriend, mm-hmm. Max Verstappen, very much. Um, 
we talked maybe about politics. We were of the same ilk, mm -hmm. conservative, right wing, whatever you want to say. Mm. But yeah, just, you know, a friend, you know, just a friend, you know, and we're planning to go out there and spend time at the end of the year. So, Where does the nickname Pee Wee come from? You're a tall oh. man. You're a tall man. I know that. Great presence. What? Where's Where's Pee Wee come from? Who coined that and how did it come about? Okay, so I went to live in Darwin mm -hmm. and there was a bunch of guys in the house, four or five guys, they all had nicknames, mm -hmm. which was not uncommon, you know, for people to give an Aussie guy a nickname. Nickname, yep. Um, anyway, one of the guys or some of the guys said, okay, well, you're, we're going to call you Pee Wee because I had fuzzy hair, mm -hmm. it was tall skin, and there was a group in Australia called the Deltones. Yes. And it had a guy called Pee Wee Wilson. Well, of course, of course. Big deep voice, I think, too, didn't he, from memory? So- but what I can add to that, yip, 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 bop, 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 get a job. So or something what else. I can add to that is, I can honestly tell you, yes. I can honestly tell you, I've never said to anyone ever, my name is Pee Wee. What had happened was, the one of the guys in that house and I travelled together. Uh -huh. We went to South Australia initially for a short time, and they were together. So then we went to South Africa, and then we went to Rhodesia. And then I went to Germany. Mm -hmm. He was always with me. So he was saying to me, oh, pee with this or pee with that. And then when I went to England, you know, Larry had heard my nickname was Pee Wee. So there was just a continuation of someone around me that called that you name. this. And then, of course, I did well in the business mm -hmm. in motor racing quite quickly. And the Poms used to like writing and they thought this was a bit, odd or indifferent, this Aussie guy, the nickname. So it was always written, even in the articles, Greg Peewee Siddle. Siddle. Mm -hmm. And so it just it just stayed. And so an example, so I rang Gerhard mm. about bringing Lucas out to New Zealand. So Lucas, uh, Gerhard says, when you get to just look up Peewee, <laughs> they, they don't even say my name. And so... And I think there's there's an F1 book I noticed some years ago of nicknames in Formula One, and and of course my name's in there. So I I, I am um, yeah, as I said to you, I've never ever told anyone my name is Pee Wee. Pee Wee, so. and yet everyone will look for this. We'll look for Pee Wee, no doubt. Can we finish with? Um, you won't pump your own tyres. I'm, I'm not asking you to necessarily do that. I won't. No, I know. I'm not. I'm not asking you to do that. <laughs> But I want you to just pause for a moment and reflect a little bit here because you're a student of life, as mm -hmm. as Larko would say, a student, a good student of motor racing and, and the business. You've managed to create this um, incredible career when perhaps early on you weren't necessarily sure mm -hmm. where it where it might go. What do you reckon – I mean, you've talked about integrity and, and um, you know, some of those key – uh, or core values that you that you clearly have. What's been the secret of your longevity in in this? Do you reckon because you've just made this life that's been around great people, um, amazing characters? Um, yeah. Look, I oh gosh, deal. Look, just dealing honestly and integrity with people. That's mm. just how I do it, mm. and I still do it. And as I said, I've. I've been my company's contracted near on twenty years to Volkswagen, and through that time, there's probably been five CEOs. Um, I've only ever had a contract for one year in those twenty years. Really, it's just been basically a handshake deal, year in year out. And once again, you know, I think if you do good in life and you do well in life, and you, as I respect you because of of what you do, and I know what you do. Thank you. And people look at me and and I don't have I've never had a CV in my life mm. of what I've done in my life people nowadays check people out very quickly yes yes and 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 when you're told something about someone it basically stops there mm. and and that's how I've always conducted myself mm. in 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 that way and as I said to you that you know I can give you some names of people if you want to ring after this and and ask them what they think you yes. know, they, you're better off asking them what they think of me but I know I know what they would say and I reckon mm. we've captured a lot of that in this conversation mm. which is good has there been a deal when you look back on this amazing career that got away that got away from you has there been one for 
a potential driver to work with or has there been a, a moment where for whatever reason just you, you know something turned hard right for whatever reason beyond your control perhaps it got away drivers no 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 i've been happy with the people i've got involved with um even back here in australia with mark uh with alex davis and through porsche you know who i took to europe hmm. he raced all those years in portugal i did that deal porsche through, loved him in that phase too mate yeah, didn't they with michael winkler yep um and that was an introduction through peter mckay um opportunities oh no probably that williams deal yeah with yeah. roberto yeah, yeah. That, that 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 was really tough. Hmm. That was really tough. And um, but as I said, I can't. You know, you know, should we have signed that deal with Lotus at the time? You know, maybe not. But we can't change it. So, hmm. but that's probably the only thing. And uh, so there's probably two things to that. Missing that opportunity. And Frank was right. I mean, I understood Frank clearly. Well, I'm not going to have someone here then lose him in a year's time. Hmm. But had that opportunity. Roberto was primed at that time to be in those cars at that time. Mm. Final one for you. A few of us think that that other areas of the sport, maybe administratively or, or governing bodies or whatever, could have, you know, um, benefited from someone like you being being on that that side, if you will. You've had a career that's been more about you know, your chosen direction and, and working with drivers or working with, with the manufacturers in the manner that you've described before, would you have ever have contemplated that? Would you have contemplated working with a, you know, being embedded, if you like, in, in the system of a... No. A, no? No, I'm, I'm too independent. Um, That's the word got I was looking strong for. In, mm. strong ideas. Mm. And generally when you work with groups of people, there's people in those groups that shouldn't be there. Mm. Um, they're there for other reasons, and mm. I, I just couldn't tolerate it. And, and at the end of the day, and um, you know, I curtailed one of my uh, things at Volkswagen for that reason. You know, I just, you know, I, I, just, I just couldn't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. And I'd probably be as subtle as a brick house, and um, <laughs> that doesn't get you anywhere. Okay, it has been a joy to sit here. I'm sure there are a ton of other stories. That's for another time, maybe. It's been wonderful to walk down memory lane here with you, mate. Thank you for doing that because I know it's not your way necessarily to shout it from the rooftops. I love the fact that you've created through um, your your personable nature these amazing relationships with, with people. Sadly, some of them have, have left us, but I think it's just tremendous that um, there are so many success stories and all of that, and I love the fact that you're still – deeply in love with the game now mm -hmm. and and you know um thinking about that next generation congratulations you know you won't say it you won't pat yourself on the back but from the rest of us um thank you for the part you've played mate it's not a part that may be necessarily widely widely known but i'm glad we could share a bit more of it well greg i have to say thank you uh, for those words but you we both maybe should thank my your inverted, agent my inverted commas <laughs> Media manager, <laughs> agent, um, Mark Larkham. Mark Larkham. For making this happen because I did, when you did contact me, I did go to Mark and made it pretty clear that, you know, this is not my cup of tea. And he came back just as strongly, even using the numbers of 100% that you're doing this. So maybe we should both, if you've enjoyed this and your audience enjoyed it, then maybe thanks we'll just give him thanks we certainly <laughs> won't be paying many bloody money thank you mate Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me Greg Rust series editor and producer is Thomas Dullard audio production by Link Kelly if you've got a guest suggestion get in touch with me via social media the Garage, that's where a journey begins with a tank full of passion-fueled stories.